Bless you, Matilda. I like doing, uh, I like it when we preach the books of the Bible because otherwise when you're a minister you can get tempted to try and tell people off or steer them one way or steer the other way. And, and you can preach through three themes which is really, really good. But what I like about having, you know, Tony, you're doing Mark 3 this week or whatever it is, then you just have to look at the gospel. And the gospel is what really should be shaping my life and, and your life and, and the life of our church and the life of the world. Once upon a time, the gospel shaped Western civilization. It, not so much now. But we're the remnant who still love the gospel and are being shaped by it and are constantly attending to it. So if you want to prep up for reading the, the reading today, you'll find it in Mark 3 and it'll be verse 31 on. And it's that bit where he says, who's my mother and brothers and stuff like that. And uh, we're doing the family tree thing just as a bit of an illustration. So uh, I've got my toodle tags. If you come in before the news, somewhere around your seat will be a, uh, a packet with some cards in it. And if it's possible, uh, there's probably a pen around there somewhere too. If you could write your name or family name there, or somebody may um, uh, want to do it for the whole family, so you'll write everybody's name in the family. That'd be cool. So some pads, uh, some packs here and some pens to go with them. So if you could do that before the end, that'd be really cool. But we're going back to um, this, uh, this question of Jesus, and, it, and he's, he's being trapped, really. He, he, he's on the march now to preach the good news about the coming of the kingdom of God, and he's embodying the good news. He is the good news. So wherever Jesus goes, the kingdom breaks out. So wherever Jesus goes and people, he comes to them, they get healed, they get delivered from demons, they get all sorts of amazing stuff happens. And he teaches them in a way that they've never heard before. All the teaching they've had before is nitpicking little ruley stuff. Uh, and, and Jesus is just teaching them from Scripture how to live and how to know God and how to be excited about life and, and what God has for you and stuff like that. So they're flocking to Jesus and they don't like it. So they're, 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 they're getting quite grumpy by now, the Pharisees, the religious teachers of his day. And they're saying they're trying to trap him. Uh, uh, and we'll see shortly what they try and do is uh, discredit him. And so uh, Jesus does something awful. I think he healed some people on the Sabbath, something appalling like that. So they're really upset with him. And, and so people are so attracted to him, it, they're coming to this house where he is, and they're packed in there. They're so packed in the house, Jesus can't move. It's worse than here, like worse than here. Absolutely. Imagine twice the amount of people in here in this house. That's what it's like, absolutely jammed. And the Pharisees are outside trying to trick him and trap him. Uh, and, and they got so upset, they're, they're now to the place, well, we're going to have to discredit him now. So just above the passage we're about to read in Mark 3, I'll put my Bible down, where it's on it, it'll be in my phone. Just uh, above that passage in Mark 3, you'll read um, uh, that they say he has an evil spirit. The only reason he can cast out demons is because he's got one himself, he is one. And so they obey him because he's one of theirs. And then he debunks that theory. And then they say, well, he, now, he, he's mad. And so he's gone crazy. So any kind of crazy that enables you to deliver people and heal people, I want some of that. But that's what they're saying. In fact, they've gone to his family and said, look, you better come and get him. So this reading is about when Jesus' family come to get him. Now, here's something I don't know if you ever thought about. How many people were in Jesus' family? I bet nobody's ever thought about it or knows. At this time in his life, anybody under 30 know how many? 
That's tough. It's one, you just don't think about it, do you? Who thinks they know? Somebody's counting on their fingers. Okay, we'll go over 30. Who's counting? How many? Okay, so mum, so in his family, counting Jesus, there's like Jesus, Mary, James, or sometimes called Jacob, I think. There's a Judas, and there's four brothers, at least two sisters, because it says in, a, in, this, in another passage a bit further on that Jesus came. So he, at this point, he's like got nine people in his family. And I always think of Jesus being a pretty solitary character. You know, I know Peter, you've heard about his brother, you know, you know, uh, James, you know about James, because you hear his name, and he was a leader in the church. But I never thought, maybe he had three sisters. Maybe he had four. I mean, they had big families. So when jo- well, Joseph isn't mentioned here, so we're assuming he's passed away, but he's left this fruit behind. But so a little while ago, there was, there was like 10 in the family. Now, at this time, Jesus is around the 30 mark, maybe 31, and you know they got married pretty early then, some of his brothers and sisters might have kids as well. So now his family's getting even bigger. Uncle Jesus. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Uncle Jesus, can you tell me another story? Wow, what a storyteller he'd have been. Imagine having Uncle Jesus. Uncle Jesus, I've hurt my leg. Oh, I feel so much better. Don't tell anybody. Not time must have been really cool having an Uncle Jesus. How amazing would that have been? You know, there's a bit of a joke used to go around some years ago about how terrible it would be to be one of his brothers. Wouldn't it? You can imagine Mary and Joseph. Can't you be more like Jesus? (laughs) That'd be like, your brother's perfect. You know when you have favourites, it looks like they're the favourite in the family? Can't you be more like Ben? Can't you be more like Jesus? That is, oh, I'd be so annoyed. No wonder they thought, you know, the, they took him a while to turn around, the family, to believe that he really was who he was. They had a whole lifetime of wanting to look like him and be like him, but no Holy Spirit, so they couldn't be. So that, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? isn't it, that that was his family. And his family had been called in to drag him out of this house and take him away because he's gone crackers. And so Jesus uses this opportunity to, like, completely reinterpret what family is all about. He doesn't, it's really love the way that Jesus is never phased by what anybody else does. He's just censored on who he is and what God wants him to do. They can try and trick him, they can try and trap him, it doesn't matter. He's going, no, that's not the issue. Not whether I've got a demon or if I'm mad or any of that. Let, let's talk about the bigger picture. Who are my mother and brothers? Because somebody had been sent in through the house, Jesus, your mother and brothers are out there. They want you. They want you to come home now. Who are my mother and brothers? This is like a seminal moment in the gospel. Because I was saying before, for to be Hebrew, a Hebrew was something very special to these people, a whole identity. Uh, uh, their, their being was wrapped up in being Jewish, following the law, having a land and being part of one of them very long genealogies. This is why I think it's very difficult in, you know, in inner city areas where kids have got families that are all over the place or maybe not much family at all. They haven't got that sense of place and belonging. They haven't got an uncle and aunt to come and clip them under the ear and say, you can't do that. 
They haven't got an uncle or an aunt or a cousin to go to when they're crying. And, and parents, sometimes you need more than you, they need another voice, don't they? Saying exactly the same thing, they just need another voice to know, you know, it's not just mum and dad going on. And so to be part of a family in, in, in Israel was to know that you had an in, a place, an inheritance. You, you could go and always come back. And so when Jesus was, you know, when, before he was born, Mary and Joseph were going back where? To the place of Joseph's birth. Because he had family there. He didn't have time to get hold of them. He'd been away a long time. He may be not who they were. But when he'd go, if he'd gone to the synagogue and said, my name is Joseph of Arimathea, my father was, my father was, that my father was, they'd all go, oh, oh, okay, so I know him. I know. Oh, we're cousins. There's a real sense of place and identity in being a believer in the Jewish nation. And of course, it tied to your, as I said before, your income. You, always, you, would, you would never go hungry because of your family. They would either feed you or you'd start working on the farm or in the business and you'd be fed. It was a very, very important thing. To be an outcast was a shocking thing. So if you got leprosy and you were cut off for your family, it was a disaster. You were now defined by your disease, not your family. Cut off from everything. So if it was a that very bad. And, and we know that in... In the Psalms, King David once said, of God, he puts the lonely in families. One of the versions will say, he puts the solitary in families. So what breaks my heart is a thought of people being solitary in a crowd, being solitary, solitary in Gillingham, going to a little flat somewhere, being on their own and having no family around them, being solitary and lonely. It's an awful thing, but God wants to put them in families and he wants to put some of them in our family. He might want to put some of them in your family. So Jesus says, who are my mother and brother and sisters? And he looks around. And what does he say? Let's read the scripture. Where's my Bible? It's Mark uh, 3.31, isn't it, I think? Thank you. Give you time and me time to find it. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And in John 1 you read to, who knows what John 1.12 says, who did Bible memory when they were first being discipled? To as many as came to him, Yeah, the power. It's interesting, and I got real cranked when I thought about this morning because I remembered when I was at college, they told me that word exousia means power, authority, and the right. You don't, when, you, Jesus come, when he adopts you into his family, you become a person of power, a person of authority, and you have the right to come before God and ask him to meet your needs because he said, I will meet all your needs. That's who you are. You're a person of you have the right to come to God. Don't let the world tell you you're not good enough. When you come to Jesus, he confers on you the right to be his, his child. He, gives, he confers on you the authority to walk in the world as his child. You speak with his authority. Isn't it an amazing thing to come to know Christ? So what he, G, John, Jesus is saying is here, no, no, no. 
Anybody who comes to me, who comes to the Father, who calls on God's name, who's obedient to him, that's my family. Does that mean he doesn't like his old family? No, no, I've had enough with them. Oh, I'm sick of them being jealous of me being perfect. No, no, it's not what he means. In fact, when he's dying, he's like, almost his last thing is to say to his mum, behold your son, remember at the cross, and his friend John was there. And he said to John, behold your mother. So it's not that he gave up on his family, not that, they went and put, not that they'd ever not be his family, but he's, he's, he's widening the whole picture to say, look, I will be the brother, the Lord, my father will be the father of anybody who comes and follows me and does my will. So in this new kingdom, as opposed to the old kingdom, where your inheritance came from your nationality, your inheritance comes from Christ now. Your family, your farm, your business, all comes from Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So when you, it's amazing. You, sometimes being a Christian is tough, isn't it? You have to go, oh, I'd better do this properly because whereas I would like to slap somebody, I've got to love somebody. Or whereas I've got to be gracious, I don't want to be gracious. But I've got to remember, God's been gracious to me. He didn't slap me when he could have slapped me. And that's who we've got to be to each other. We don't want to be slapping each other, do we? We want to be gracious to each other, kind to each other, reach out to that's what Jesus is saying. When you come to Christ, you not only get him and the Father, you get everybody else. Now, you may be in a family, a big enough family to have a few dotty aunts and uncles. People think, oh, <coughs> goodness. I've got to see them again. It's Christmas. I've got to, you know, no family's perfect. We're all different, aren't we? We're all at different stages of growth, different stages of healing. We're, we're all... We've given everything in Christ, and yet it takes a lifetime to become more like him, doesn't it? But, but God has given us, this is his vision for our life, to follow him in obedience and to, to enter into his family. And, and what do families do? They eat together. They play together. They work together. In my family, who weren't Christians, my dad's side, they're working class. And I've noticed working class people are more family-oriented in my tiny brain, that's what I think, than people who are upper and middle class. might be completely wrong. But my experience was in my father's family, all poor Liverpool Irish alcoholics, none of them would send the, you know, the last option in the world would be to put dotty Auntie Mildred in a care home. She'd be in the, she'd, she'd be in the front room. And she'd be singing her own song and, and, and people would be fine with that. But we can't do that. She's one of our family. And we used to have, I didn't really like this sometimes, we had love jobs. Did you have love jobs? If your family was doing some work in the garden or rebuilding something or, or even if one of your family members was helping somebody else, you had to go and help them for free. So my dad was very much like this. He was a, you know, as rough, rough as you could possibly imagine. But in his heart, he had, had quite a lot of kindness. So if somebody was in need, he would go and meet the need any way he could. And he'd say, come on, Tony, we've got to do this for this person. I'd say, how much are they paying? And he'd say, oh, it's a love job. Okay, it's a love job. It's a love job. Yeah, all these, of all these love jobs, he could have been really well off. But, but he just kept doing love jobs. 
because it was just the way he'd been brought up. And so if we're a family, and Jesus, I think, here is saying, it's not that your birth family or your heritage is not important. But here's the new thing. The new thing is your identity doesn't come from where you come from. It's from who you are and where you're going. So you might have come from a real dysfunctional family. Don't worry, we're going to a real functional family. Uh, Does that make sense? This is a whole new deal. And these people would have been profoundly shocked to hear this because family was everything to them. And then a bit later on, imagine how they felt when Jesus said about, I think it's about Mark 6, anybody who comes after me, what does he say next? Must hate his mother and father and brother, and come and follow me. In fact, they must hate their own life. How do you think they felt when they heard that? They would have to remember back to Jacob and Esau when, when, Abraham, when God said of them, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. And you'd realize this doesn't mean he hates him. It means in, in Hebrew, this is a, a, a word play for saying much preferred. Because remember, Esau, God blessed and he loved him. Esau got land and, and, and cattle and, and got an inheritance all of their own. So he's not saying you hate your family. You're not allowed to hate your family. <laughs> you can't. No, no, no. <laughs> Frustrated? No problem. Um, prefer to be with other family members? But we're called to love our family, aren't we? And sometimes the love flows to the person who's in the most need until they're ready to share the love flowing in other places. So if you were to look at us as a family of churches, we've got a new family of churches. So there's, you're part of the global family of churches, aren't you? Every Christian, isn't it cool that wherever you go in the world, you can go to Australia and go to a church and have an affinity with people? That, and I say, oh, wow, come from England, come for lunch. Because we're family. So we've got like this global family. We're, 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 anybody know how many Christians there are in the world at the moment? You're in a global family of 2.4 billion people, which is pretty cool, out of 8 billion. I think we're up to, funnily enough, it's going up. 10 years ago, it was 31% of the world population. Now it's 35. Christians have taken over. Come on, coming back. In our churches, you're part of a network of churches that came from RM. They've got like 800 churches around the world. And we're a sub... RM, uh, that's the New Frontiers, RM. We're, we're part of a subset. We're a family within that family. And so Cornerstone is a... So it goes, we've got the Global Church, we've got New Frontiers or RM. Uh, then we've got, uh, we've got... You may or may not know that we have a cluster of churches in Kent that we meet with regularly, and Adam is, like, leads that cluster. So there's... Um, Tunbridge Wells, Dave King, there's Gordon down at Sittingbourne, there's a guy at um, Sheppey. So, so we've got a little RMC, they're called. And then there's Cornerstone family, which is cool. So that's one church of many communities. That's, that's our big church family. And, and if we've got 10 baptisms next, sun, next in a couple of weeks, I don't know how we're going to get in that room down there, but we're a big family. And then there's Gillingham Raynham family, isn't there? And so what I believe God wants us to when we look at this gospel, is to be shaped by its call to really be a family. Now, honestly, we can't be family with even everybody in this room because we don't have time, do we? We can have a family gathering like this, 
which is like a reunion. There's a family in America, the Lilies, the, the last reunion they had was 25,000 people. They just tracked down everybody with that back name. Uh, there's a project going on at the moment, a global DNA uh, matching service, and one guy who, who said he's found out he's got 80,000, he can name 80,000 relatives. Isn't that weird? And interestingly, the genome part of that product goes back to, I can't think, literally Adam and Eve. They call it Adam, proto-Adam and chrom do women have chromosomes or X things? There's something slightly different that we won't get into that. But, but they track genetically every back to a couple, two people. Isn't that amazing? So that project is rolling on. So if you got into that, you could find out who you were related to. This guy was related to Barack Obama, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, who he's never met, and also Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer. But he didn't make so much of that, that one. He didn't, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't, you know, that wasn't such a big thing. But here's the thing, guys. In, we, can't, we can't all treat each other exactly like brothers and sisters all the time because we don't have time. But, but as a church, I really want to encourage you to find some people with whom you can be real family. So the temptation is when you're quiet is to find it is not press in, sit back and feel like you're solitary in a crowd. This is not God's plan. Not God's plan. Everybody needs to have somebody. Everybody needs a family. Now some people are personality-wide, like me, big family, big house. If only I had a bigger house, I could have more people there. I'd make more soup, more curries, have everybody around there all the time, and I'd be, ah, oh, what a life that would be. Rhonda, a bit less. Some people, oh, my goodness, what an awful vision for living. You know, I, I'm, I'm quieter. I like, you know, I, I can have six or eight around the table. After that, no, no, that's fine. It's not about your personality. It's about... Are you prepared to really be somebody's mother, father, brother and sister? Are you prepared to open your home and walk with other people? Some, some families are very tight and they've got great... I mean, there's a family in another community in our church I think of and they've got grandparents, parents, uncles, aunts, kids. Kids have got kids and kids. It's like they've got their own church. You know, they gather on Sunday, there'd be 30 of them. But they spend a lot of time together and I wonder if they spend enough time with people who are not blood-related. Do you know what I mean? So you, we can be very busy doing authentically good stuff with our family. I think I've shared it with you before. I've, the most shameful moment since I became a Christian in my life was once when I was in a shopping centre going to Bible study one Friday night. With I'd picked up some food to take there, and a girl was there. She was about my age maybe a little bit older. She'd had a bit to drink. She was sitting in a seat there. And she said, hi, where are you going? I said, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be with some friends and, and, and go to Bible study. And she said, I wish I had some friends. And I was too busy to stop. Can you believe it? How could, I, how could you do that? How could you do that? And I, I made a commitment. That ever happens. That different response. Different response altogether. So we're going to start some groups shortly. We're doing some training now. Can I say, well, one of the ways you can, we can help this, and I can't, I can't, and I don't want to make anybody do anything, but the elders and the leaders in the church, we, we want to create an environment where it's possible to build a culture where nobody is solitary in a crowd, where everybody has a place to call when they need a call, where everybody has somewhere to go eat when they're hungry, 
where everybody has that sense in their lives that I've actually got real brothers and sisters. That's who you are. You are my real brothers and sisters. This is not, it's not a theology. Jesus is saying it's true. Everybody who does the will of God is his brother and sister, mother and father. That means because he's my brother, you're my brother. Because he said you were his brother or his sister or his mother. And what he says goes. I have to orient my life around what he says. And part of the gospel message is not just one of personal salvation, which is an amazing thing in itself. In the West, we've privatised the gospel. It's all about me coming to Christ, getting saved, getting healed. Well, yeah, but there's a lot more to the gospel than that. The gospel is a public truth to be spoken in public places. And it's, it's, its truth includes this one Jesus brought out here. He raised this question. He says, my brothers, well, actually, everybody who follows me, everybody who loves my father, everybody who does my father's will, is actually my brother and sister. And so in this community here, I, I want us to see ourselves as a family of families. And when we start the groups, if you've got some people, season of life, they won't be able to lead a group, but they might be able to be part of a group. Some people shift workers. We've got to try and find groups small enough to fit them in. I just don't want anybody not... I don't want anybody going home, looking up at night from their pillow, saying, God, I wish I had somebody to talk to. I wish I had somebody who could encourage me and pray with. I want a church full of people who go to bed at night saying, God, thank you for the opportunity to have a meal with so-and-so tonight. It was a blessing to bless them. It was a blessing to be blessed by them. Thank you that I'm in a family. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Those are the two things I want to go to. That's, that's, that's the when I go to bed at night, that's what I want to be thinking. Thank you, God. Not, oh God, I wish. Or, oh God, I wish I'd done more or been more or something. So this is something you have to uh, process and, and determine with your stage of life what you can do. I was... I'm in um, doing the group training for a bunch of people on Thursdays because they can't do Wednesday nights and they've all got little babies. The mums with little babies. Surprise, surprise, they can't come out at night. So this is chaos. I had forgot what it was like to try and do a Bible study or anything serious with three breastfeeding mothers and three toddlers. It was like Lime Street Station in there the other day. One of them had a noise that was rattling like... Like, well, like, it was, it was like a sitcom and I'm sitting there trying to, no, be calm, be calm, try and make the point. And it was all good. It went really, really well. But I thought, these girls, they're not going to be out at night very often. Some of the seniors are not going to be out. So we might have to have some groups that are daytime groups. So I have to be flexible. I'm asking God to show us how to live together well. Because if the gospel is true and he's my father and you're my brother and sister... It's incumbent upon me when you need one for me to do a love job. To be there when you, you need me. And it's incumbent upon you to be there for each other. Does that make sense? So if you've got... I want to, we'll close. I think I'm probably over time. Oh, can we possibly close and I'll pray and then I'm, I'm going to ask if you could bring your little tag and hang it on the tree. And then we'll pray over the tree. Uh, and then next year, when we do a similar message, I'm going to have all of these and to see how many more we get and see how many people have become the family of God this next year.
So uh, thank you, Lord, that you have not left us alone. You do put the solitary in families. Thank you, Lord, that the gospel is real good news. Not only for me, that you saved me. It's not just about me, but you've placed me in a family. And I've got my, my own sort of my beautiful wife and son, but I've got genuine, actual brothers and sisters around me. Genuine, actual people who could be to me a, a father or a mother, people who could meet, to be to me a daughter or a son, and f- somebody I can be an uncle to. Father, fill us with that, flood us with the grace you have to give us time enough to be together and live well and support each other and bring each other up to the fullness of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.